Today in this special episode, we will be discussing the rise and fall of the WWE's Vince McMahon. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, what we usually do is that I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. But today is a special episode. Today we'll be discussing the rise and fall of the now ex-CEO of the WWE, Vince McMahon, and there will be no medical topic this week. I am certain a lot of people are like, what? No medical topic? Listen, I'm going to, and this is, I have verbally abused Asif for years about his love for wrestling and that he's a man boy, a man child. But this is something that's pretty interesting because if you don't, never mind, you know, let's put the wrestling aside. Vince McMahon as a figure in the world of entertainment is an incredibly fascinating human being and what he's done and what he has accomplished. It's like if you were in the business world and studying, you know, let's say the Jack Welches of the world, the CEO of, uh, of GE. I think Vince Vaughn is like an incredible case study and just not only as Vince a CEO, McMahon. but as a human. Did I just say Vince Vaughn? Yeah. Hilarious. Vince McMahon. I'm going to make that. Once I start saying Vince, the Vaughn is just just a second away. Vince Vaughn is also a great in my books, but Vince McMahon is a just an incredible human being to study. And I knew we were going to do this a because Asif, you know, likes to watch wrestling and and gets quite aroused by it, but also because I got a message the other day about from Asif and it said, "You may have heard the news that Bean Scan retired from the WWE." Bean Scan, of course, is Vince McMahon and is also proof that Asif has been using voice texting, as I have suggested to you so many times. Good for you, Asif. Anyway, on to Bean Scan. Uh, as I say, this is, you know, what we do. We try to take every subject that we talk about and we try to come at it from a particularly exciting place, both for ourselves, because we need that to remain interested, and for you, our listeners. So whatever you think about wrestling or whatever you feel you might know about Vince McMahon, I would say stay on board. I think this is going to be a very exciting episode. And I'm the guy who makes fun of Asif and wrestling. So that's coming from a, a credible source. Asif, it is no secret. Let's get this out of the way immediately, because this is the first thing that many people who don't watch wrestling regularly will say. It's no secret. It has been derided as being fake. This was my father's heckle when I was a young boy, I was watching wrestling, minding out my own business, and my father would come downstairs and yell, it's all fake. Yes, we know this. Why do you still find wrestling interesting despite that? Those are actually two questions, Ali. So I think, why don't we tackle each of those individually? This question about hey, it being man. fake. Tackle. Tackle. Look, the violence is already beginning oh, exactly. in our wrestling yeah. episode. Let's yeah. take a steel chair to these questions. <laughs> so let's start with why do I find this interesting? Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, but you're a doctor. You're an educated person. Why do you find this stupid, you know, wrestling interesting? A couple of things. One, it is a guilty pleasure. 
this is something you I can watch and turn my brain off, you know, especially if it's like I've had a hard day at work, trying to organize everything, then you got the family stuff and all this stuff, organizing everything, you could just watch it. It's not like Better Call Saul. It's not like The Wire, where you need to be paying, you know, such exquisite attention the whole time, and, and oh yeah, do you remember that character and this? You don't have to do that, right? So that's what I like about it. And, you know, so some people say it's like a soap opera. Which it is in some ways because it's a never-ending story that keeps on going 52 weeks a year. They don't take a year off, which is kind of crazy in entertainment and in sports. You know, like how long is the NFL season? Regular season is like, you know, I don't know, 12, how, 16 weeks? I don't know. Someone can tell me that who watches football. But I think it is kind of like that, like a soap opera. But I liken it more to like a magic act or a reality TV show. You know when you're watching a magic act, you're watching Chris Angel, even though he's not actually making something disappear, literally, right? He, he doesn't have, like, magic powers. He's doing a sleight of hand and an illusion to make you think that. So you don't go into a magic show thinking that, you know, they're sawing a woman in half or lighting someone on fire. You know that they're not doing that. But you still go and watch magic shows all the time, where some people do. Or similarly to a reality shows. So... I liken it to The Bachelor or Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Again, this isn't highbrow entertainment necessarily, but you suspend your disbelief in those all the time. And if you think that those shows aren't scripted, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm sure even The Bachelor, which is a competition show, these women competing for this Bachelor, it is still scripted. Like, that's why the Kardashians wake up in their show in bed and their hair is perfectly done. They're wearing makeup and everything like that. And there's a camera crew in their (laughs) bedroom. That's right. I had a great sleep, could barely hear the camera crew last night. You know, to your point, it's, it's interesting. The goal of these shows, the reality shows, is to make you, the viewer, forget that it's scripted reality. And the goal of wrestling similarly is to try to make you forget and you know call back to a steel chair when a steel chair hits the back of mick foley's head and he starts to bleed you kind of like you do forget this is scripted what's happening did this go wrong you know mick foley by the way you should look up that person he has two different what are his two different identities as three well three different He's, identities three different well there's mick foley himself mankind yes and then the two uh, cactus jack and, 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 and cactus dude, love, jack. And dude oh. love is another one of his identities okay. yeah there you go all right but just to to put things in perspective uh you know i know you're going all the way into kardashian world and all the way into the bachelor world but you know what else is fake Shows on television. <laughs> McNulty from The Wire, not actually a detective. Oh, Did you know that? Yeah. So, you know, we're all suspending reality at some level. And I only say that because, you know, I was the subject of my father's derision. And my father, I found out, used to watch soap operas. My dad was a teacher, home by noon, was watching, you know, as the world turns. Oh, wow. uh, another world. Yeah, uh, this was a deep, dark secret of his. My mother found out at a party once. My dad was like, is, uh, you know, is Susan still doing this? And my mother was like, what? What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. And the, the woman you know, they were talking to was like, actually, Susan is still this evil person. And so it was his deep, dark secret. So I don't know. Everybody has their soap opera. So yeah, I think I get that. I understand why you still like to watch it. Your guilty pleasure is wrestling. Mine is an egg salad sandwich at a gas station. We all have our guilty yeah, pleasures. At least mine won't give me a salmonella. But I like salmonella. By the way, that's a deep cut callback because Ali plays a character on a kid's TV show, Odd Squad, who likes egg salad sandwiches. But egg salad. 
So a couple other things to follow up with what you were talking about. So a lot of people actually call and people are probably, probably going to like, you know, laugh at this, but it's an art form it, because what it is, when you think about it, it's combining athleticism with storytelling, which doesn't happen very often. Right. And so it is predetermined and coordinated. So you have two people actually I working mean, together. Right now, fans of figure skating would be very angry I was at going you. To say, for saying, it's if you combine you? figure skating and ballet, and obviously there's a big overlap between figure skating and ballet, but I mean, like you're watching a ballet performance, like you go to watch a, like a two hour ballet, which tells a story like Swan Lake or something like that, with figure skating and you doing these amazing spins and things like that. And mm -hmm. of course, ballet dancers are, are athletes. Like, let's not pretend that they don't train for hours and hours and are amazing and are not in amazing shape. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing about wrestling is most fans, especially like adults, know it's predetermined and they're what's called smart to the business. That's what a, somebody will say, a, a wrestler would say, if somebody knows the truth about wrestling, which now everybody does. But that's actually why people like it because you know stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You read news articles about what goes on behind the scenes. And sometimes real life stories tie into wrestling stories. And the best moments is, as you said, is when you know it's not real. Of course it's not real. It's fake. It's predetermined. But you're so invested that you forget. And that's like when you get sucked in. You don't watch a Marvel movie and be like, oh, yeah, but Iron Man can't fly. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but you're so sucked into it, then you you believe it. And magic is the best example, right? When when you're like, this should not be possible, but I'm believing this, right? And so this kind of meta way of looking at wrestling was spearheaded by a lot of writers. And, and the biggest one is David Shoemaker from, uh, he was with Grantland. And then Grantland, it was Bill Simmons' website, which did pop culture and sports, because Bill Simmons, you know, if you don't know who Bill Simmons is, I, you probably don't listen to podcasts that much because he's one of the biggest podcasters on the planet. And he then created The Ringer in association with HBO, and they were brought by Spotify afterwards. And The Ringer is, again, it's a sports and pop culture website. So David Shoemaker writes a lot about looking at this meta way of looking at wrestling, and it's really a fascinating way. And in fact, he started a podcast, and that was the very first podcast I ever listened to. So that's how I got into listening to podcasts was through this guy, David Shoemaker. I highly suggest you check out – he's a great book called The Squared Circle, Life and Death in the World of Wrestling, I think it's called. Great book. He still has a podcast on The Ringer, and he writes some interesting columns as well. So it's this idea of looking at things – from this meta level. We'll get into Vince McMahon specifically in just a bit, but I, I do want to dive a little bit more into this wrestling and fake, the fakeness of it. My feeling was always that you're a kid, you believe it's real, and then somebody, my dad, somebody else's dad, somebody's older brother comes along and says it's fake and then opens your eyes, oh my God, I can't believe it. Is that generally what happens or are we now in a world where wrestlers themselves talk about it being fake or scripted or once they leave wrestling, do they talk yeah, about no, it? Yeah, no, no. It's basically out in the open now and... So people think that's a relatively new thing where it's out in the open now, but before nobody knew and thought it was real. But that's probably actually not true. And there were many things that happened, say, in the past 20 or 30 years or so where it became out in the open. But now wrestlers do interviews and like to talk about my character mm -hmm. as a bad guy. My character is this. Like, So it's definitely out in the open now. But even if you look back in history, it's very interesting how people even hundreds of years ago thought that it was fake. 
And by fake, by the way, I, I'm not trying to denigrate what the wrestlers do. It's predetermined. The matches are predetermined. They're working together to put on a story. But it's not fake in the sense that there are real injuries that occur. If you ask athletes, they take high-performance athletes, and they'll make them do a wrestling workout, and most of them are what they call blown up. Like, they don't have the conditioning to do what they do. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's a very different kind of athleticism that you need. And the other thing, there's people who've been injured, there are people who've been paralyzed, there are people who've died in the ring. So there definitely is a danger to it. So calling it fake is probably a bit... Uh, Heretofore, let it be noted that when Asif says fake, he is not trying to be pejorative of wrestling. I know you feel like you have a future in wrestling when your medical career is over and you don't want to harm that in any way. So we just say it. Asif is not trying to say anything negative. That's right. About wrestling. You know, one thing that I remember, you know who Carl Malone is, I imagine? Mm -hmm. Carl Malone, phenomenal basketball player for many years, was in a, a wrestling <laughs> ring. You know, they would bring these various people into the ring. I'll never forget the way that guy was. He couldn't even speak. He couldn't even catch his breath afterwards. And I remember thinking in that moment that a basketball player who spends all day long running up and down the court and like, you know, pushing bodies away and fighting through could not handle being in a wrestling ring. I could barely handle, I yeah. should say, I shouldn't say couldn't, but I, but I remember the way he was like heaving. I was like, I've never seen Carl Malone like this. This is insane. Anyway, the mailman. So let's talk about the history of wrestling a little bit. When you talk about like the early days, what are we talking about? Where is this type of wrestling? Where does it originate? And especially with regards to this kind of fakeness, it started in like the carnival sideshows, right? Carnies. You'd have like the strong man and then they also would have wrestling matches too. So we're talking like late 1800s. This is North America or this is the UK? It was both, but mainly North America. And so you'd have like a wrestling show. So there'd be like a strong man who'd be like, okay, whoever can take me down to the mat will win like, you know, you know, $5 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and people from the crowd would come up, but even then it was kind of fixed. So, or the wrestlers who they knew very painful, very specific holds that if they got someone in, it doesn't matter how big they were, they'd have to kind of tap out like you'd see in the UFC. Or what they do is, this is crazy, they would have a black kind of curtain backdrop behind the wrestling area. And so they would maneuver the guy when they're wrestling to it. And there'd be somebody behind the curtain that the audience couldn't see with like a blackjack, you know, to like knock them out. And then they'd hit them in the back of the head and then they'd just pin them, you know, when they're unconscious or semi-conscious. So there was always kind of this hucksterism and carny mentality, right, of taking mm. people from their money. But in the early part of the 20th century, wrestling was you know, essentially real and not predetermined. And there was a couple of really famous people. So w the biggest one was Russian-born George Hackenschmidt. So he's one of the legendary figures in wrestling. And he was brought to, was wrestling around the world. It was brought to the UK by this promoter named Charles B. Cochran. And he was put in the championship match with a European champion, Tom Cannon, uh, which George Hackenschmidt won because he had a legitimately dominant style of wrestling. The problem is he was too dominant. Like he could just out-wrestle someone in a few minutes. And the crowd was like, well, what? that wasn't that exciting because he was just too dominant. So this mm. guy Cochran was like, yeah, you got to slow down. You know, remember that we're trying to entertain the fans. And so- Sure, showmanship. Exactly. And so that kind of bled into wrestling as it went forward. Hackenschmidt came to the US and he fought this guy, Carl Gotch, 
who was another legend in in wrestling. And you, I don't know if people understand how big wrestling was. This is kind of in the beginning of the 20th century, so in 1908 or so. They fought in Chicago's Dexter Park in a two-hour wrestling match. Oh, my God. Those two wrestling for two hours. And that's when wrestling reached its real national prominence. It was, at that time, the most popular spectator sport in America. And they had a rematch several months later where they attracted 30,000 people in Chicago as well. And that was the highest attendance sporting event ever in the history of the United States up until that point. So, Man, that's a lot of people, 30,000 for for 1908. And again, this is not, there's nothing broadcast on television or things like that. It's just people yeah. hearing about it. I want to go see these two. So these were two legendary wrestlers, but you could imagine a two hour match where they're kind of feeling each other out and going for a hold and backing off. Like, eh, it might be a bit boring. I'm not sure why people were so interested. And so wrestling took a downturn in kind of the, 1915 to 1920 kind of Great Depression era because it started to have these concerns about legitimacy because they were trying to make it so it was more entertaining. But then people were thinking, oh, it is predetermined. And so that was already in the vocabulary. And then there's a book in 1937 by a sports writer named Marcus Griffin. It's called The Fall Guys. I haven't read it, but I heard it's really good. Again, my uh, David Shoemaker, who I quoted before, has read it, says it's a great book. And they talk about the behind-the-scenes aspects of professional wrestling, and they talk about how they use this term kayfabe. Kayfabe is like a carny word for, like, fake. And it's even used okay. to this day to imply that this is kayfabe, a fake you know, wrestling match. And then you might sometimes have what's called a shoot wrestling match. A shoot wrestling match is what Hackenschmidt used to do, which is like, we're really wrestling, there's going to be a real winner or loser, just like an MMA bout, right? And mm-hmm. so much so that in 1934, there was another Chicago event held at Wrigley Field where it was called the last great shooting match. So like, this is real, but everything else that you saw is fake. So it's basically been known since essentially the start of wrestling in North America. So let's talk about Vince McMahon at this point. You know, I find it particularly noteworthy to look at how his life started, and that is in a trailer park as the son of a wrestling promoter. And when I think, you know, 1950, 60, or 40s wrestling, that matches with my thoughts that, yeah, I guess a promoter of wrestling, particularly, you know, traveling, reminiscent of the Carney type uh, traveling shows, would live in a a trailer park, right? There's like, you're scraping out like meager income for yourself. You're barely paying the wrestlers and this kind of stuff. And you would probably live in a, a trailer. That's that's as, as good as it would get, especially because so many of them exist across the US. How does Vince McMahon go from a kid living in a trailer park to this multi-millionaire a pioneer of of this form of wrestling and this form of entertainment and this this man who's looked at like one of the greatest business people of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think people may think that Ali is doing some hyperbole there, but it's really not. And we'll talk about his accomplishments in a few minutes. But this his journey is comparable to if Walt Disney not just created all those seminal movies in the 20th century, but build Disney to where it is now with multiple theme parks, Pixar, a streaming service, or if Stan Lee not just created Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and all these other amazing characters, but then brought Marvel to where it's a billion-dollar industry and it's doing what Kevin Feige is doing now with all the Marvel Cinematic Universe and things like that. 
I think you're underselling it, actually. I think it's like if Walt Disney turned Disney into the company it is today and wrote scripts for every Disney movie and voiced like Mickey Mouse and Goofy because Vince McMahon, his, you know, tentacles makes him sound pretty slimy, which I'm on board with that. Or if Stan Lee was doing it, you know, was also playing like Thor and was doing it every single week of the year, not yeah. like a movie coming That's out right. once a year, once every eight months. And also was able to build the business side of it, you know, and, and be huge in that. It's, it's very rare there's someone who can do all these things. But let's get back to your original question about him growing up. So yeah, he, he was the son of this promoter who was Vince McMahon Sr., Vincent J. McMahon. But his parents kind of split up when he was a baby. So he actually never met his father until he was 12. So Vince McMahon Jr., uh, the one we're talking about, lived in the trailer park with his mother, several stepfathers or stepparents, lots of abuse in that household. And eventually he met his dad at age 12 and decided that's what he wanted to do. His father was the head of what was called the Capital Wrestling Corporation, was then called the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, WWWF, and then eventually, because of Vince McMahon Jr., the Vince McMahon we're talking about, he suggested changing it to the WWF. But we need to kind of tell you how wrestling worked back in the mid part of the 20th century to really understand what Vince McMahon did. Wrestling was divided up into a bunch of fiefdoms after World War II. It's increased in popularity due to various reasons. And the fiefdoms were different, what we call, they called territories. So Vince McMahon Sr. was in the Northeast. They called it the New York Territory, but it extended outside of New York. But there was uh, territories in Memphis. So that's where Jerry the King Lawler was one of the main figures. We know him from the WWE and from Andy Kaufman, you know, wrestled him and things like that. There was one in Florida, one in Georgia. There was world-class wrestling in Texas. There was one in the Pacific Northwest. And there was even ones in Canada. There was Maple Leaf Wrestling run by Jack Tunney and his father before him in Toronto. Stampede Wrestling, which was the Hart family, Stu Hart, who his sons were Brett the Hitman Hart and Owen Hart, yeah. who you guys probably know. And there was even Polynesian Pacific Wrestling, which was run by Dwayne The Rock Johnson's grandfather initially, and then when he passed away, his grandmother took it on, and she was the first mm. female promoter. So all these territories had their own internal champions, but they together formed what was called the National Wrestling Alliance. And there would be one main champion of the National Wrestling Alliance or the NWA who would go from town to town and would fight their champion. And sometimes their champion would win. Well, most often they didn't. And the most famous NWA champion, there are many of them, but it's probably Ric Flair is probably the people who know the most. Woo! Yeah, ex exactly. The nature boy, Ric Flair. So that's where things were towards the end of the 1970s and early 80s. And the WWF was a part of the NWA. And then a couple of things happened all at once. Vince McMahon and his wife, Linda, founded their own company called Titan Sports. They incorporated that. And then he purchased control of the WWF from his father, who was sick with pancreatic cancer at the time. Then they officially left the NWA. And so now they're on their own. So then- So now there's the NWA, which is this alliance of all these different, you know, as you said, fiefdoms or right. different, you know, yeah. And there's W, so there's two. Right. And then what he started to do was something that was considered totally 
inappropriate to do based on the- Unethical, you might even say? Yeah, the the agreement between the NWA is you don't advertise your shows and your programs in another territory, and you don't poach people from other territories. But that's exactly what he did. So he took out various loans and things like that and began to A, show syndicated WWF shows in other territories, which angered people considerably. There was death threats and things like that. This is all able to be found in the history books looking at wrestling. But then the other thing he did was he started to acquire wrestlers from other territories. So he acquired uh, the Junkyard Dog. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, I know the Polynesian he rec- he yeah, got. Yeah, he Jimmy got Superfly Snuka. Samoans, Jimmy Superfly Snuka. And most importantly, he acquired Hulk Hogan from the AWA. Hulk Hogan had just been in Rocky three. Oh, so he he's done before. Rocky prior. Okay, I, okay. I didn't know that either. And and I learned it afterwards. And I mean, Vince McMahon saw this was the writing on the wall. Hulk Hogan was brought in. He saw the potential for this to be something that can appeal to kids and families. And so he did a multi-pronged approach. He got Hulk Hogan as their champion. He then noted that Cindy Lauper had this connection with Captain Lou Albano, who was another wrestling manager, and he got Cindy Lauper involved. This is the rock and wrestling connection. He did an NBC deal, uh, which involved Saturday Night's main event. So I don't know if you remember this, Ollie, when we were growing up, we would watch Saturday Night Live when we were growing up, and every maybe four to six weeks, SNL wouldn't be on because it would be an off week for them. So instead of just showing a rerun, Vince McMahon got... Saturday Night's main event put in there. I do remember that vaguely, yeah. But- and what he was doing was wrestling at that time, as you said, kind of derided, kind of scoffed at, lowbrow in bingo halls and places like that. And he's elevating mm-hmm. it to this family-friendly Saturday morning. I don't know if you remember, Saturday at noon is when well, they had a lot of the syndicated sure, of course. shows. That's when I was being heckled in my basement. Yeah. yeah. So, and he, he saw this. And then, of course, he did uh, WrestleMania which he took a huge risk on, but he had Muhammad Ali, Cindy Lauper, Mr. T, right? It was huge. I do not remember Cindy Lauper having anything to do no, with this. I was, didn't know about that at all. It was huge. And so, and so he had the MTV crowd. He had little kids because they started a cartoon with Hulk Hogan and his buddies. And, you know, this took off. And so he, he had this huge peak and this was how he launched this company. And he's continued to move upwards. There were ebbs and flows to the success of Vince McMahon. And he did this by stabbing people in the back, right? And and doing this, but he had this vision. Ebbs and flows, obviously, there was a steroid scandal, which we won't get into in the 90s. He started things that were not big successes, the World Bodybuilding Federation. The XFL failed twice. It failed recently. Right, wrestling meets football league, yeah. But, you know, he then had this peak in the late 90s and early 2000s, which I think is when you started watching again, where he had Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he had The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. And it is very safe to say that Dwayne Johnson would not be the biggest movie star in the world right now without Vince McMahon. Like, I don't know how he would ever get to that level. His grandmother and grandfather owning a wrestling league would not have got him to where he is. Because who knows what would have happened? Would wrestling have stayed territorial and just maybe died out? Who knows? Right. So Vince McMahon is the most important person in the history of professor wrestling period, end of story. There's nobody who's more important. 
He took his company public in October 1999. Their IPO, they had an uh, assurance of stock of $172.5 million. Stock trades for about $50 or $60 right now. He created an international brand. And I don't know if I ever told you this story, Ali, when I was in India. My parents are from Patna, which is a relatively big city. The population is like one or two million. But it's in a Bihar, which is a pretty it's considered like the backwards province. Of, poor, yeah, 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 yeah very, very and poor. And they own a mango. Poor for India. Poor for India. And they own a mango orchard. My family, extended family, owns a mango orchard. Oh, hello, Chiching. Somebody's making money in the poor Somebody area of is. Bihar. Mango. It's about half an hour outside of the main city, so quite rural. And we went there to visit the mango orchard one day. And so there's a little, just kind of small shop at the side of the road. You know, they'll sell like, soft drinks and, and things like that, sweets and things like that. And they had one small TV, like, you know, I don't know, 15 inches, like tiny TV. And what was showing on that television? Jacques Pepin's French Cooking Secrets. Close. The WWF, now called the WWE, but they have this huge reach internationally. They, oh, you said they do it 52 weeks a year. They said they go to 1 billion homes worldwide in 30 different languages. Mm. Their revenue last year was $1 billion. Vince McMahon's net worth as of 2016 was $3.6 billion. And he did, not only did he revolutionize wrestling, they started a streaming service, which is called the WWE Network, before almost any other people were doing streaming. Like he was a pioneer in thinking about using streaming. Now everybody has a streaming network. And so it's really hard to underestimate his influence. I do want to ask you this. You know, he's a dirty businessman. Mm -hmm. He runs with the dirtiest of them all, right? Donald Trump and him are, are, are friendly. His wife was part of the Trump campaign. Yeah, she got a political appointment after Trump won. She was the administrator of the Small Business Administration or whatever. And she got that appointment after Trump came into office because they've donated lots of money to Trump. Right. His wife has had several failed uh, election campaigns, but she got this appointment. I mean, apparently, did a pretty good job. There's a great New York Times article talking about how she did in the job, and apparently, she did quite a good job. Great for her. Why do we put such an unethical businessman on such a, a pedestal? Why do yeah. we still revere him the way we do, or just society? Let's you say. know, everybody who's worked with him says he's the hardest working person they know. You know, works till. 2 a.m., gets up every morning at probably 5, works out every day. He's in better shape than me and you, and he's 76, 77 years old. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, he changed a lot of the people who work for him their lives, you know? Again, Steve Austin, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, these guys are multimillionaires because of Vince McMahon's vision. And he's more right than he is wrong. And so people thought he was just going to work till he died, basically. No one could ever imagine him retiring. So the news came out last week that he was retiring from the WWE. Like I said, the WWF, by the way, we didn't get into this. It's because the World Wildlife Fund basically sued the WWF because the WWF, the one run by Vince McMahon, had rights for North America, but the international rights for that name essentially were with the World, World Wildlife World Fund. Wildlife. And yeah. with the advent of them becoming more and more international, they're like, you're impinging on our brand. And eventually they decide to change it to World Wrestling Entertainment. So that's the short story behind that. But like I said, WWE chairman and CEO Vince McMahon 
resigned last week and has right. officially The man retired. who was never going to retire has retired. And of course, saying he's retired or resigned, even resigned, is still a pretty gracious way of describing why he's on his way out. So let's talk about that. His exit may not be, you know, may tarnish his, his legacy, which as I said, already has a lot of tarnish on it, but he's got the, the Teflon Donald Trump kind of thing where people just see the good until now, maybe. Yeah. And there's always been things, like I said, there was the steroid trial. There's many things you can look up. There's other allegations in the past. Certainly there is a suggestion. So Jimmy Superfly Snooker, who you mentioned before, allegedly, many people think did murder his ex-girlfriend and it was covered up by Vince McMahon. That is certainly an allegation that has brought up many times, including mm. on the television show Dark Side of the Ring, which is an amazing show made by Canadians on Vice TV. So there's always been some of this backroom stuff. But again, as you said, people are willing to overlook it. But I think now it's it's a bridge too far. And so there are basically two reports that have come out in the past month or so in the Wall Street Journal. So some good investigative reporting from the Wall Street Journal. The first one concerned, said the WWE was doing an internal investigation. So this is what the reporting was, which began in April. The board of directors of the WWE received an anonymous email notifying them of an alleged $3 million payment that McMahon paid to a female paralegal. Apparently, they had an alleged sexual relationship, which went on for some time. She got promoted during that time, and apparently went from like 100000 to 200000 or something like that. And there's also an allegation that after Vince McMahon was done with his affair, he passed her on to another underling. All very kind of slimy, you know, disgusting kind of stuff. But she signed an NDA for $3 million to not talk about this. So you had this anonymous person mentioning this. So at first, you know, Vince McMahon basically ignored this. After this allegation came out, he appeared on live TV, which he hadn't done in, in a couple of months, and introduced everybody to the TV shows and basically ignored this. And to be fair, there was no allegations that this was non-consensual. The main concern was, in addition to being gross, that was he using company funds to pay her off? Apparently, he did not use $3 million of his personal assets. Hmm. And was there a quid pro quo? Was she being uh, promoted because of this relationship? And so that's what the investigation alleged. But these reporters hinted from the Wall Street Journal that they were working on something else. And this second bombshell came out last week. And this came out, there was a lot of discussion about it, and then Vince McMahon retired at 4.05 on last Friday. And the suspicion is because then you don't affect the stock price, right? Because the stock market closes at 4 p.m. on Friday. 4.05, so, all right. It's very interesting. So let's go through these allegations. There's the $3 million payment, which we already talked about. But basically, the total is $12 million total, including that $3 million payment that he made over the past 16 years for a similar thing. So there is a $7.5 million payment in 2018 to a former wrestler who alleged that McMahon coerced her into oral sex and then demoted her and ultimately pushed her down the card because she, the card is the wrestling card in terms of the hierarchy of people. So mm -hmm. she became less and less important because she refused to essentially do more than that with him. And because she resisted this, her contract was not renewed in 2005. Who that person is, there's been some speculation online, but it's only speculation, so there's no point in getting into details about that. Then he had another $1 million payment in 2008 to a contractor 
who received unsolicited nude photos from Vince McMahon and was sexually harassed so that he did a $1 million payout to that person. And then there was another $1 million payout to a, a former 10-year WWE manager who alleged Mr. McMahon, Vince McMahon, initiated a relationship, sexual relationship with her. So another million-dollar payout there. So now this is quite a bit different than a consensual relationship where you sign an NDA for. This is people being coerced, people not reciprocating sexual advances and being you know, like losing their job. This is, you know, essentially a complete ab abuse of power. So I think Vince McMahon, like many of these powerful people, thought he was immune to this. And, you know, he's not. And I think the board of directors and the shareholders thought that they, he was not so he was he was forced out now of course he still owns 28.7 million of the company's shares which amounts to about 40% of all shares and he also has 80% of the voting power because he holds what are called class B shares. I mean, you did an MBA, Ali, I didn't, so I don't really know all about this, but those Well, are, yeah, you have more voting yeah. power I think or vote yeah. Exactly. I wish I knew more, but that's yeah, it. a different yeah. category of shares. So he's the voting power. So he's not in charge of the company. He's not in charge of the creative direction. We said he would write all the shows and things like that. He's not involved in that. He's not involved as an on-screen character, which he was for many years. But the company cannot be sold if he doesn't agree to it because he still is the majority owner of the company when it comes to those classes. So he's not being punished in any way financially, but as a workaholic who is involved in the day-to-day all the time of this organization or corporation that has to come to a screeching halt. Yeah. So he'll be a prisoner in his own mind for a while, but he'll be financially just fine. Okay. So what's next for WWE after this? I know that, you know, from getting back into it, as you said, in that era of the rock and stone cold, Steve Austin, I know that Vince McMahon has two children mm -hmm. or two that I know about. Is it Shane? Shane and Stephanie. Yeah. And Stephanie, sorry. And Stephanie, I remember, married another wrestler named Triple H. Right. Are they still together? Yeah. So this is a very interesting situation. This is a whole succession type issue that's going on. Succession. Are TV you referring show. to the show? Success? Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and an actual and an succession. Actual succession. So, yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's like the television show. So he had two children. They were both interested in basically taking over the company. And Stephanie McMahon is very interesting. She... Like her brother, she actually became on-screen characters, as did Vince McMahon, as did Vince's wife, Linda, uh, during the heyday of the WWE about 20 years ago. And Stephanie, on in a storyline, was hooked up with this wrestler, Triple H, Paul Levesque, quite a famous professional wrestler. And Paul Levesque at the time was dating a, another wrestler named China. You guys might remember her. She's very big in the oh, late 90s, China. early 2000s. Sure, 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 sure. Incredible physique on China, well-known for that. And basically, him and Stephanie, the art imitated life, and they got together in real life. And China was broke up with China. She was, of course, employed by the WWE at that time, and then slowly let go from her contract and, you know, didn't have much of a career after that. But then Stephanie and Triple H, Paul Levesque, ended up getting together and getting married. They have three kids. And they moved up in the world, so they all moved up in the WWE to very high-ranking positions. Meanwhile, Shane, the brother, really wanted to be also moving up, but realized pretty clearly on, he said that in interviews, that he's like, this is going to be the Stephanie and Triple H show, and I'm not going to be involved in any higher-up decision-making. So he left in about 2009. 
Oh, and he could see that. He yeah, could he see the writing, writing on the wall, the wall that he was going to be. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. And he, he joined like a streaming company that was based in China and things like that, became the CEO of that. And so has done that and been in and out of the WWE since, but never with this kind of power that his sister and brother-in-law had. So that all seemed good. And then the WWE in about 2020 hired this guy named Nick Khan. Nick Khan was an agent at CAA and did a lot of deals with uh, sports media and television. And he helped to negotiate a deal with the WWE with the Fox network and the USA network that was worth like billions of dollars because again, they tried to promote it. This is live TV, et cetera. And so because of that, because of the success, they courted him over to the WWE to have a senior position. And he's since he's been there, he negotiated a, a streaming deal with Peacock, which is the NBC uh, streaming service in the U.S. for for more than a billion dollars. So he's really financially helped the company a lot. But there are some rumors that he ended up kind of ruffling the feathers of of Triple H and uh, Stephanie the wrong way by firing some people that that they were kind of supporting and hiring his own people from CA and, and elsewhere. And so there's this kind of power struggle now. And what Stephanie did actually in May of 2022, she took a leave of absence from the company. And she said, you know, I need to focus on my family, my children. I'm taking a leave of absence. Uh, And she was the chief brand officer, which is like equivalent, I think, to like a chief marketing officer. She took a leave of absence. Triple H, meanwhile, had uh, severe heart issues in the fall and had to have heart surgery. And it was recovering from that. So maybe it was his surgery. Maybe it was with their kids. But she took a leave of absence. And then she was on a leave of absence. And when all this stuff hit, she had to come back to the company and now has to be co-CEO. Co-CEOs are- Has to be. So you're saying this is not- Well, I don't know. Uh, that That is my judgment put in. But she is now the co-CEO with Nick Khan. So okay. these two people, maybe they're at odds with each other. Maybe they're not. But now co-CEOs, which is not unheard of in, in business, but it's not the most common thing either. Sure. Also, I got to say this. It's Nick Khan, by the way, very, very Muslim, classically Pakistani name. And you make it sound like it's Khan as in oh, Khan like artist. James but Khan. anyway, we should. Yeah. I mean, he passed away he's a half brown man. We should be. Yeah. He's, anyway. I think, Afghani. Uh, I'm pretty okay, sure. Yeah, sure. I do believe that because I know who his sister is. And right. she talks more about her background. Yeah. So this is the final bow on this whole story, which may could maybe answer your question where the WWE is going. Right now, they have two co-CEOs. Oh, my God. I just realized what you're about to tell okay. me. Okay. So his sister, who is her sister? His sister. Well, his sister, I know her. Like, I don't know what she's done recently, but she is a uh, writer, creator, showrunner. And it was a show called Fresh Off the Boat that she was best known for. This is the story of Eddie Huang, who was this, you know, actually fresh off the boat. I think they were like uh, asylum seekers or something, his family, and they came via Florida to the US and he is a, he's a great chef and this was his story. There's a whole cloudy thing around that too. Eddie Huang didn't really sign off on the story being told and fresh off the boat. It wasn't true to his own story. That's a whole different yeah, thing. Yeah. But if you're asking me about who Natashka is, she is a, a showrunner and, and writer. Right. And she is Nick Khan's sister. But there's a very interesting circular wrestling connection to all this. So Nick Khan and his sister, Nanshaka, they grew up in Hawaii. And guess who they were friends with in Hawaii? When he grew up with the Polynesian uh, Pacific Wrestling <laughs> Foundation, 
Magnum PI? Exactly. No, no. The Rock. Dwayne the Rock's uh, grandmother. Is, yeah, when he would go visit his grandparents in Hawaii, he would hang out with these guys all the time. So they've been friends since they were kids. Then Chaka Khan did, is the showrunner for Young Rock, the Rock show on NBC. And oh my gosh, I did not know that. So okay. these guys are very close. You, you could find on, on Instagram, there's a, a picture of them all having dinner together recently. And the speculation, this is pure speculation, is that if the WWE does go up for sale and there is a single buyer, like not a corporation, but a single buyer, just like mm -hmm. The Rock bought the XFL from Vince McMahon, which he did, yeah. and he's go it's supposed to start next year. Oh, he wow. made, okay. The question is whether The Rock, based on these connections, will buy the WWE and become the public-facing person oh of the WWE. That's amazing. Uh, that's not inconceivable at all. I thought you were just going to say that Natashka would start be doing, would move into the WWE and writing scripts for wrestlers because she's a writer and a showrunner and also move in there. That's my speculation, but that's based on absolutely no knowledge of anything. So let's go with your speculation instead that The Rock might become, right? Especially as The Rock gets older mm -hmm. and, you know, looking for new opportunities. That would be very interesting. He'll probably to see. run for president, but if that doesn't go, then. And yeah. I think this might be a possibility for him. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. That is a very short episode relative to most discussions that have to do with wrestling. It's funny, I was looking up some videos. Who's Jim Cornette, by the way, Austin? Jim Cornette, he was a, a wrestling manager and promoter. You might remember him. He used to carry tennis racket around. I don't know if you ever saw him. Yeah, that, he, that and, makes, he was a manager in the US. He also had his own promotion in the kind of Kentucky area. And now okay. he has a podcast where he rants about everything going on in the world of wrestling. Right, so there's a clip, Jim Cornette, on Vince McMahon announcing his retirement. How long is that clip on YouTube? Uh, 18 minutes? An hour and 29 minutes. So what I'm trying to say <laughs> is people have a lot of thoughts about wrestling. Yeah. I'm sure you do as well, Asif. I appreciate you kind of breaking it down to its very kernels for us and for our listeners who are not maybe uh, wrestling aficionados. But there's a lot to be said, and there's a lot of passionate people in this world, as there are in so many different sort of, you know, these, these reality and scripted worlds. It's just interesting to see who Vince McMahon is, what has become of him, where he'll go next. Uh, I'm also curious about that. There's no speculation on what that, what he's able to do next. He just has control of this company. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. But as you said, he still has control. I, I don't know what's going to be on. I think, you know, this is pretty disgraceful stuff. And I think it's good that he's was called to to task for it. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but uh, I think it's it's important to put this in perspective because this wasn't the front page news. You know, I think everybody kind of heard about it, but you're just like, yeah. okay, whatever, and then you kind of move on. There's other things, so that's why we thought we'd go into this. Hopefully, people found this interesting. Let us know what you guys thought about this episode. Again, reach out to us, Doctor V Comedian at Gmail .com, Doctor V Comedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Let us know what you guys thought. Was this interesting? Do you want us to do more topics like this? We promise. Uh, next episode we will include a medical topic apologize for that but remember that although i'm a doctor i'm not your doctor medical issues we talk about usually are for your interest and information only and they're not medical advice please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice thanks for listening bye